Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Our guest today is Tara Ren Burke, a biracial, non-binary Japanese mystic who leans deeply into the wisdom of elemental magic and metaphor to connect. Before we launch into my conversation with Tara, I just want to take a moment to remind everyone that our first Patreon tarot hang will take place this coming Sunday, May 1st, from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Central on Zoom. Any and all Patreon members who join at the $2 a month level and up will be eligible to join us for this fun night of conversation and cardomancy, and your support will help guide us towards our goal of reaching $100 a month on Patreon, which will make it possible for us to begin paying all of these incredible guests who you enjoy listening to every week and who come on and share their wisdom with all of us, including Tara. We only need 18 more people to join at the $2 a month level to reach our goal. So if you're a fan of the show, if you're listening right now, hopefully you are, I hope that you'll consider supporting us by heading over to patreon.com slash in search of tarot and pledging your support today. I'll drop that link in the show notes as well. And Angie and I look forward to seeing you this Sunday night. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Tara. Tara Renberg is claircognizant, clairsentient, and clairaudient, and they enter into relationship with these gifts through a lens of neurodivergence and by recognizing that so much of the way they live their life travels across timelines. Tara roots their personal folklore and mythological senses through seasonal folklore rooted in both Gaelic and Shinto-based cosmologies, where they track ancestral veneration, lineage tracking, and understanding the complexities, nuance, and particularities of being Irish, Slavic, and Japanese. A forever student of practical magic, making magic accessible regardless of entry point and introduction, Tara roots their studies within the framework of animist studies, which in earlier years were guided largely in part by Laura Blakeman and Aquarian witch Connie Bender. They have felt continued wisdom teachings and offerings on decentering the white-centric spirituality complex and honoring earth magic and wisdom dreams honored by BIPOC folks across the diaspora through listening and being an appreciation of the impact of the mystical throughout culture and across time. They deeply credit the work of Octavia Butler, Audre Lorde, Jewel Gomez, Mary Oliver, Grace Lee Boggs, and Ursula K. Le Guin as offering them a way to see worlds beyond the ones we're living in and to see new futures through their knowing that something exists beyond our scope of current lived realities. Their deeper understandings of time travel comes from their love of science fiction and the imaginal landscapes of anime, ASMR, collective organizing spaces, and understanding the pathways of dreams. Tara believes deeply in the body's wisdom to hold informational coordinates for who we are and who we are becoming. To work with Tara, find them through Instagram, their Patreon hearth, and their website, which, as a neuroemergent witch, is in the process of transmutation. And you'll probably have noticed that I pronounced Tara's name a couple of different ways throughout that intro, and this was according to their wish. So enjoy this incredible conversation with Tara Renberg. 
as I was thinking about a way to enter into this conversation today with you, I was thinking that it might be fun to hear if there are any dreams that you're that are recurring for you right now or kind of what you're dreaming about, um, whether that is while you're asleep or while you're awake, you know, just what are what are you dreaming about these days? Yeah, I love that question. Um, There's so much, I think, for me where winter dreaming becomes really potent. Um, I sleep longer. I'm kind of in the area of hibernation. I'm on Kalapuya territories. maybe for some known as Oregon in specifically so-called Eugene. And I feel winter is a time where I do some of my deepest streaming. And when I say deepest, it means I sometimes am able to move into moments of lucidity, right? The idea and the concept of knowing I'm dreaming and being able to connect and change my destiny in a dream. Um, a recurring dream uh, that happens to me and this is like it sounds so boring but I would say landscape dreaming is the most recurring dream Mm -hmm. and so for me when I'm connecting to dreams sure I love a good story like everyone else and like I love the beginning middle end and I think sometimes it's easy to move into like the linearity of the story of a dream Mm-hmm. And what I notice is my most reoccurring spaces and what I actually can find to be really expansive is landscapes. And mm-hmm. so you're going to love these landscapes. They're so mythical. <laughs> uh, high school, <laughs> shopping malls, mm. <laughs> um, grocery stores, not as much. And then I would say my favorite is like I always when I work a dream after coming out, like uh, in one would say a waking state, um, one of my favorite places to return from a dream, like I always allow myself to integrate back, right? I feel like as a practitioner, integration is like the most important and often like missed piece Um, sometimes of like digital spiritual spaces like what is the aftercare right we can do the big thing we can offer the big petition or do the big spell but if we're not focusing as much intention or importance on integration and aftercare we're left like untethered right and in some ways still left into uh, a possible realm and so I always find myself landing back into a field, very 10 of cups, mm-hmm. right? Even giving a nine of cups vibe, right? Allowing this ability of like, oh, like a really arriving in that place. And it's a very, I grew up um, in Chicago and it's giving a lot of like Northern Michigan, like field vibes. And I love it mm-hmm. because it's got that just like, just at the right hour, I can like even see like ahead of me now as we're talking kind of the way that the wind like moves the tall grass mm-hmm. um, of the Great Plains. And so that's kind of like the reoccurring imagery for me, I think in dreams is primarily around landscapes. Mm, beautiful. Um, and when you said earlier that you work a dream when you wake up, what do you mean when you say you work a dream? Yeah, sure. So for me, recall, right, the idea of remembering a dream, um, for many, I think, exists primarily um, in audio or written form. And I find that to be super generative. I think practice uh, the consistency of something and praxis, 
right? The way that we ritualize it into lifestyle, life work, uh, ritual work, um, really depend on our ability of allowing the thing to not feel like this giant task or this chore or this, um, how can I say, like thing that we almost like dread doing. And so I've noticed for myself, sometimes writing down dreams, I'm like, no, not today. No, it's not. No, no, I'm good. Like so much happened. We traveled so many worlds. Like I'm good. I think I'm okay. I'm just going to like move into the day. And so what I invite myself to do outside of recall and outside of um, just that idea, recall being audio and written, is I invite myself into practices, exercises, so to speak, um, with things of embodiment and really the imaginal capacity, right? The idea to expand my dreaming beyond my sleep state. And then it moves into my waking state. One would say like, I fucking love a daydream. I think we live in a place where our imaginations have been Mm co-opted and conditioned, right? In so many different ways. And so I really love to talk about landscape dreaming. And so that's kind of the way when I say to work a dream means that I'm with a dream uh, in so many different ways. Yes, I can do the written. Yes, I can do the audio. Another way that I'm with a dream or working a dream is offering the dream in the present tense. This to me is so potent. Just the small switch of honoring a dream in the present tense Mm -hmm. makes it so much more embodied, like in the body than like, oh, well, then I did this and then I ran here. Like the past tensing almost pushes the dream farther away. And I think... That's important when we're trying to be with a dream over time, especially a dream that's really potent, right? A dream that's really vivid, a dream that has upon waking a lot of intensity, like shelving it on a book or in an audio recorder for later is important if you know you're going to be coming back to that audio book and that recorder. But if you're like, oh, I've just read it and now I'm done, like to me, it's just like such a that integration and aftercare piece is so important. And I'll just like leave it like I love Toni Morrison for this quote um, because I appreciate one just Toni Morrison as just one of the greater writers of our time. Um, uh, And just from the book A Mercy, her quote is, I dream a dream that dreams back at me. Mm. And so like what it is to be in an imaginal capacity And again, like uh, even in context as a non-black woman, understanding and reflecting and just witnessing, you know, Toni Morrison offering this as a black woman and the ability for her to dream beyond her reality and so much that her her imagination becomes that living reality, right? As one of the greatest authors of our time, so well known. Her legend lives on across timeline, her writing still consistent across time. You know, it feels important. So, yeah, that's a little bit of like working a dream and, you know, Dreamscapes Academy and my one on one sessions do a lot of that Mm -hmm. um, where we go beyond just like, okay, we've established a recall practice, which is beautiful, beautiful starting place. Like I'm not knocking anybody for beginning somewhere. We're not better or worse or farther along or slower behind like that bullshit of like catching up is it just is the reality is we're where we need to be mm-hmm. and things present themselves when they need to. And then it's our opportunity to accept the invitation or just say, no, r- not right now. Right. Like there's always those moments we can choose 
Right, right. Yeah. Thank you for all of that. Um, and actually, it's funny that you mentioned that that lesson of um, being right where we need to be. That's something that has come into my life recently. I, I did a big cross-country move and was having a lot of trouble um, settling into my new location. And my mother actually posed a question to me that was very helpful when she said, you know, how would things shift for you if you knew that for right now you were exactly where you were supposed to be? Um, and it was incredibly helpful, you know, and it, and what was interesting to realize is that that doesn't mean that I'm happy with where I am necessarily. It just means that I am where I am, you know, but I think sometimes maybe we get a little confused by that idea and think that it, it does mean that, that to be settled does mean to be happy, you know, and and those are not necessarily the same thing. Real. Yeah. And I think the ability and this is like maybe a a take, but like, I don't know if achieving balance is it for me Mm -hmm. on the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways I exist in extremes. I understand that I I operate on high, high, low lows, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, shout out to like ADHD uh, witches and ADD Mm -hmm. witches and like neuroemergent peoples like I sometimes have really amazing moments and then other times I'm like cool so I'm here in bed for the next foreseeable futures Mm -hmm. Um, and what my ability is to understand kind of from the self inquiry which like I love that like having your mother reflect that back to you then allowed it allowed you enough space right enough capacity to like then reflect back to yourself being like yeah and so I love that ability to be able to build that reflection and yeah like not to be putting um restrictions on our capacity of like a feeling like oh it's Mm -hmm. good or it's bad right Right, like as queer folks like the binary of emotions we're just like well that's that just is fucking, that's just not it for me. Yeah. So let's let's expand out a little bit now to hear about kind of your path that got you to where you are today. And I am, of course, most curious, you know, how you first started to connect to your dreams when you started to realize that they were offering you something, you know, how did that unfold for you? I love this because I recognize when I talk and I listen back that I sometimes talk in a lot of stories and metaphors. So if you're here for informative information, there's some of that throughout the podcast, but we are a lot of, there's story, there's a lot of storytelling here. We love a good story. Um, Yeah. And so the moment I think for me begins um, as a little and I'm a little one. Um, I'm in Chicago. There is a rhubarb, like I will call it a tree because being like three or four and rhubarb, folks that know rhubarb as a plant, the leaves become huge. Mm. I mean, like Monstera style, banana leaf, huge. And so here I am, this little one underneath this like rhubarb forest and all of a sudden I'm just in another place right the imaginal capacity for me has always been really strong I was an only um, I was an after-school kid like shout out to my kiddos who had like I didn't really grow up with very much like emotional care I had like I really 
have a lot of gratitude for my folks of doing the best they could um, with what they had. And that being like, I never experienced food scarcity um, Mm -hmm. or housing insecurity, which I think is a really great privilege um, as a little in terms of stability. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I didn't really get is like my emotional capacity was like with my stuffies and I had a shaker bed. I have very vivid memories of this. there is this movie called Nemo in Slumberland. Folks can look it up, they can be with it. It is such, for like witches out there, it's a great, it's like got like some psychic, I mean, it's like all over the like goody planes. There's like talking animals and like different realms and, (laughs) but that bed, right? The bed is is a portal, right? The bed is a transportation, the bed is a vehicle, the bed is a ship, right? That was such a reality for me and it still in some ways is I don't have I used to have a shaker bed which is essentially a bed that like would have um, like a cloth awning on it to create a canopy didn't have that but just had the shaker kind of four points and so it was really easy for me to like hold on to one of the sticks of the shaker bed to be like going on some voyage across time with like all my stuffies my stuffies were like all my little like commanders and like we did our things. I went on these voyages. And so I think my dreaming practice really began there. And I don't think my imagination has ever really like quote unquote lessened or dampened. I definitely like maybe many of us having overactive imaginations um, was told like there was moments when I was like making up things like I remember I used to see color a lot like I used to see color so vividly as a child definitely from the range of like five to seven and then I was told enough times that I what I was seeing wasn't quote unquote real and I say that in air quotes because real is such a spectrum of existence and 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 so I just like was like cool yeah it's not real and then it takes a lot now it usually takes like um, journeys with um, psilocybin um, some encouragement encouragement maybe with cannabis or like maybe deeper um, visualizations or kind of trance like states um, in in order to really like move into those moments of like vivid colors and I can feel color And I can almost hear color a little bit more, but I used to, it just, I remember I would like see someone and I could see that full auric field. And I was Mm -hmm. like, damn, this is as a, like a 10 year old, I'm like, so, you know, seven, 10, you whatever, it's so excited. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, you know, kind of told out of me, conditioned out of me. And so it kind of extended through, um, I definitely (laughs) engaged in a lot of um recreational drug use as a kid as a as a young kid and when I mean young I mean my like the frontal cerebral cortex of the brain like doesn't really fully develop right until about 25 so in some ways like we're still so in like the 14s 15s 16s right even up to like the you know early 20s we're existing so much on these like reflections of who we think we are who we think we want to be and really not tapping into more moments of essence i think until like again we enter those mid-20s and we are not really at least i was not given so much moments of initiations thresholds rites of passage work to really like identify like where i was on my existence as as a human growing up and so 
here I am like 14, 15, 16, like, woo wee. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I did a lot of things. I like was really into MDMA. Like I loved, I smoked cannabis like almost every day. I experimented with psychedelics at a really young age and that was really generative in some ways, but now it's so beautiful to witness again the trauma-informed practices around working with and being in relationship to psychedelics and even with cannabis and kind of having more containership of support. I definitely like threw myself into like the deepest ocean and was like, cool, I like have like a small raft with a tiny hole in it, but I'll be okay. Like I could trust. And so I recognized my spiritual journey really was shaped a lot by, you know, just experimenting with kind of mind expansive ways of being and that's like it kind of introduced me through the arc of tarot you know I've been reading since I was like 19 Mm um I'm 34 now um and the rise of dream work I think really solidified for me actually interestingly enough like after my mid-20s because I had had a dream work practice for so long I tracked dreams for so long and it wasn't until my friend and co-founder of Dreamscapes Academy, Sonia Estelle, were like on the phone and we're like, we both have such vivid dreaming. And I was already working with Sonia as a client, actually doing some ancestral um, veneration work. And it just made sense where we were like, we should explore what communal dreaming looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So much of dreaming is an individualized experience and I want to honor how important it is for us to witness our own experiences that we're having not from places of projection or comparison and that's where dreaming as building a consistent individual practice can be generative and also what it is to share dreams and for that to be the conversation like I am dreaming in a world where I could go to a space and instead of being like how's it going or what do you do what was the last dream that you had that made you really curious, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the conversations that I want to have in gathering spaces, right? Yeah, that's, like, that's powerful. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's expansive. I mean, how, how have you seen dreams shift over the past couple of years when you work with people? Well, as we've been and still are in a panini um, and we are still in that, um, it's not going away. It's a continuation. When things first happened um, simultaneously with the murder of George Floyd, as well as and content warning for folks like I'm going to be talking a little bit about, um, yeah, just systemic violence. So I'm just kind of honoring that in the in the space. So talking about that in simultaneously with a global pandemic, people were having global pandemic and social uprising dreams as if they had. And to the extent where people were finally seeing the connection and the threading of their dreaming world to their waking where again i had not seen you know of course we can talk about the connection and and again dreaming in some ways has been gate kept i think in a depth psychology field and that could be a whole other conversation we could have about the kind of way that 
Sometimes dreaming has been reserved for that kind of one-on-one type of work, but it's still for me sometimes encourages like a teacher-student relationship and more of a psychoanalytical, like very heady mm-hmm. over as much body, although there's pre- plenty of dream practitioners and I'm assuming also depth psychologists that honor the body too. So shout out to the folks that are like doing that work and even hypnotherapists that I know that are also moving in those fields of practice. Uh, The biggest thing that I noticed, though, was really people's ability to fully recognize that the veil is thin. Mm. It's really not that. And so much of the veil in so many ways, I think, in 2020 was lifted. The veil's been lifted for a lot of folks for a long time. So I ain't about to say like, oh, yeah, everybody finally woke up in 2020. Mm. But from the overculture, right, which is a term from Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, the overculture, right, so the rest of society, the parts of society that weren't just finding tarot on the interwebs, though, again, bless you, but were able to, like, integrate before that, maybe the part of culture that were using practice over performance sometimes to move in their way. It's like people were finally waking up. Didn't matter who you were. Could have been somebody you met down at the bodega that was like, oh, yeah, I know that like almost everybody now talks about astrology like doesn't really matter who you are (laughs) you will be talking about it and so it's it's shifted and I think that's also what's true for dreams is it's really shifted into a conversation that people are realizing like things aren't that separate (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your dreamscapes academy that you've mentioned a couple of times tell us tell us more about that and, and the work that you do in that container Sure. So Dreamscapes Academy is this beautiful kind of evolving container uh, that usually exists over about five to six weeks where we dream in community. And there's so many different layers that I could speak to about Dreamscapes. Uh, One, I feel like what we try to offer is a way to establish a supportive practice as ability to also understand what it is to be with praxis, right? The idea of something where you're not feeling like there's so much efforting, right? Like to imagine your dream in waking time or to just be with your dream throughout the day is enough. We don't have to give ourselves so many things to do on the spiritual checklist in order to be more spiritual. Like Mm -hmm. spirituality is such an intentional practice and takes time. It also isn't something that happens like all at once. Like it's built over like many moons, many years of time. And so our real mission, I think, is to support learning around the living landscapes, right, our waking world, within the imaginal realm as a coexistence, right, as interdependent. And I kind of spoke to that a little bit in my kind of beginning share. Um, And even what I'm seeing now, folks are more excited about the invitation of realizing that the waking and dream time are not as separate as, as, as we make them out to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that has been one of the biggest ways for us to move in that. Another way that we like to talk about is like the nonlinear framework of dreaming or the idea that we can change our existence or our pattern of existing through our dreams and mm-hmm. same how we move through time and space. So we know that linear time, i.e. like clock time, we can even use, we can even use, even use daylight savings time, which we should abolish immediately yes. because it's really a form of just productivity and rooted in, in inherently in capitalism and structures like that. And so it's like 
we know that to be true. And so what are we going to do? How are we going to practice? How are we going to move in that way to inform more of that? And so I think our vision, of course, is to support dreaming in the dimensions of that by experiencing dreamscapes throughout the multiple vantage points. And so again, practice is something you commit to, again, regularly. Praxis is a lifestyle, a way of being. We want to be able to honor both, right? Giving people tools, uh, giving people frameworks, giving people structures, not necessarily this is how you do what I do, but this is how you do what you do. And we're sharing, sharing that. And then praxis, right? The idea to know that spirituality, dream work, like divination is not about like all the shit that you have. Mm -hmm. Like it's about incorporating these moments and these ways of being that invite mystery, that invite dreaming, that invite curiosity. And so, yeah, there's so much. Um, we are just finishing. Uh, we are going to be in this motion of bringing on different offerings because the one thing about Dreamscapes is we don't really stay the same. So for the branding world of consistency and conformity, <laughs> we do not stay the same. And we're okay with that. We don't really, we're not a brand. Right. So we don't really operate as such. Um, you know, we just move seasonally. We, yeah. we dream rhythmically, and I think it's so important to kind of honor those. So how do you go about, just help me understand how you go about um, taking these dreams that, you know, because what I'm hearing, and, and you know, please correct or expand if I'm, if I'm missing something, but I'm hearing a sense of, you know, that we, that we bring what, the dreams, like the way that we think of dreams in the night, you know, we kind of bring that forward, but then we also, there's a sense of how we dream when we're awake and the, the, the world that we dream of, you know, the lives that we dream of having. How do we take all of that and kind of mix it together and actually start to shift and make change in the world you know how do you how do you make that leap um in, in the the work that you do yeah and it is a leap right because mm -hmm. at that point you're really playing with a little bit of quantum time and the idea of knowing that you're dreaming is just as much real as you're waking like that takes a certain shift mm -hmm. right and it takes a certain amount of care in the shift, like how you choose to integrate and how you choose to hold aftercare. Uh, one of the ways that we choose to do this is to honor that not everything needs to be interpreted. Your, all your dreams don't mean everything. Sometimes they're just there to exist as their own entities in life. Mm -hmm. And so when we finally realize that we're not the center of everything, the expansiveness of a dreaming practice, I feel like can kind of truly extend itself. And I've noticed for myself, I can take, I probably have three or four dreams that I know that I can come back to at any time and be in relationship to. And so for me, when I do dream divination, um, which I will say, and this is like so transparent and I'm like, oh, it's a vulnerable share. I'm like, not that many people come to me for dream work. And I'm always so curious about it. And I think a lot of folks have, well, what if I don't remember my dreams, right? That's something that people are often like up against. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily about a memory. It's about a feeling, it's about a sensation, right? It's about allowing yourself to go to that place. Also the ability of honoring like the daydream, 
Like I really want to honor our ability to dream in these worlds that are not fantastical, which I think we sometimes mix our dreaming reality with like, quote unquote, the fantasy world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to really honor like we right now, right, are currently dreaming the dreams of a very small select few, like the lives we are living, the conditions we are living through are lived by a very small few you could say cis white hetero Mm -hmm. patriarchy i mean we could just like lean into that as the understanding and if that's the case ways that we can actively interrupt that Mm -hmm. is by one like knowing that that's not it realizing that isn't our reality and so already that's a step or an action Mm -hmm. and then understanding how we're going to change shift be with another way Um, Do I have like the answer for how or in what way in this moment? No. And I think that's okay. I think I have the invitations that by dreaming, like I just said, that idea of dreaming into a reality where that's the conversation that first enters into a space anywhere. I'm talking fucking meeting rooms. I'm talking schools. I'm talking, right? That invitation first is already shifting our perspective, which I think then leads to, right? The ripples of change kind of extend from inner circles of care to outer, um, I think can be really generative. And the last thing I'll say is when we recognize that certain figures, um, are with us in our dreams consistently and we choose to uh, have conversation, integrate, be in relationship to those, Mm -hmm. we can often be quite surprised what we find. Um, And so I've kind of created, I'd call it a dream council at this point, um, a dream group. Um, uh, People really, I would say human and otherwise more than human kind of kin that have assembled themselves in my dream team. And sure, you can call it a spirit team. You can call it uh, however it feels in relationships. Some folks have really, really deep ancestral um, dream councils or figures that come. And I think recognizing that you're not alone in that way as well, because you're assembled by, whether it's ancestors, whether it's animate folks, like I can talk about Kitsune a little bit and some of my Japanese ancestry, because I have a dream figure that moves from that. You know, that I think is also what I th- helps shift the conversation is when we recognize that we can actually dialogue with our dreams and really be in that conversation. Yeah, you kind of touched on this, but I'm wondering if you have a, a bit more to say about it. Um, so something I've heard Adrian Marie Brown talk about is the realization that we are living in someone else's dream, like you were saying, you know, and, and that that this didn't just kind of happen out of nowhere, but someone dreamed that this is how it would be, you know, and, and that's what's what has occurred. So I'm and that's something that I think about a lot in in sort of magical um, languaging and practice is, you know, this that someone out there is also casting spells of their own that are not what I wish, you know, that's, that's not what I, the reality I want to live in and not, not what I want to have happen, but there is sort of other magic at play, you know, do you, how do you feel about that? I mean, how, how do we sort of confront the, the fact that other people do have other dreams and are also creating their own reality from their own dreams? Right. It's so interesting to recognize that like difference isn't like, bad or good it's just what is and so I think in the conversational point of like my thing is like so much of this relationality comes back to for me like how systems of power unfold and so what I like to imagine 
is when my dreaming is just holding itself in a container of care and extending out to the people that I know um, and then hopefully extending out to the people that they know, right? And like that ripple effect and knowing that people are also dreaming of maybe the completely opposite thing as me or maybe the most something that I would find extremely harmful or problematic. Mm-hmm. My my hope would be that there would be some cancellation, right? My hope would be that like they would, um, and by cancellation, I don't mean like canceled like right. culture. I feel like that word is so loaded. And so I'm not trying to like refer to that. I think what I'm trying to honor is that our experiences are valid and the experiences of others are different. And the most that I can do is stay curious because if I become rooted in a moment of like shame or guilt um, or even reactivity, like it's not really serving how I'm continually interrupting that, right? How I'm continually like prolonging. One thing that I would like to think or feel into is that the spirit, like spirit, the universe, however you want to say, is like always calculating to our greatest like our greatest possible outcome. I'd like to think that, and maybe it feels naive. Maybe it feels like, you know, overtly positive. Um, I mean, I do have like five planets in Sag. I am fucking very optimistic um, in a realist way, but in that. And so I'd like to just say that by moving in those places that my hope is that that could just extend out and that existing could be true and me to be able to see that and recognize that and appreciate it without needing to be like oh it's different so therefore it's bad oh it's different so therefore it's not right Mm. And it's hard because we're talking about things like fucking racism and capitalism and all these things that are like really these isms that are antithetical actually to that idea of wanting to see interdependence and adaptability and emergence, right? Mm -hmm. It can be fucking challenging, right? And so it's hard to say, you know, what the exact answer is to that, you know, other than just the continued curiosity and like the fucking practice, like everything comes back to like, okay, well then I'll just keep practicing and that, and that practicing then for me, like turns into praxis. Um, so yeah. Yeah, you touched on your um, ancestral lineage a moment ago, and I want to pull back to that. Um, On your website, I read that you connect to ancestral roots from Irish, Slavic, and Japanese descent, and I'd love to hear... I'd love to hear how you made those connections. Um, I think that's something that people are, you know, very interested in right now, and um, and also what that has offered to you as you've gotten to know those different, you know, strands of, of your descent. Sure. Yeah. So I'm biracial or multiracial. So my papa was white, um, an Irish Slovak, and my mama is Japanese. And I'm Yonsei, so I'm fourth generation. Mm-hmm. And a, definitely a child or a byproduct of assimilation through Japanese internment camp, um, which means or results in um, the loss of language and a loss of a lot of cultural heritage, which has been a whole navigational movement for me on both ends, both the Irish Slovak and also within my Japanese ancestry. So for me, my portal and my entryway is always through mythology and folklore because I really do believe in one's personal mythos. Like as the quest of in tarot, we go from the fool to the world 
and allow those minor elements all in between. But the arcana or the archetypal ways of knowing to me has always been exciting and interesting. And so I've loved learning about my ancestry like through folklore. So we'll begin with my name. So the Hill of Tara or Tara is kind of a passage um, in Ireland. And it specifically is kind of this really generative space. They would call it a royal gathering. Uh, it basically became a seat of, of kingship. And it kind of had some type of auric field, some capability. And so it's recorded that a high king of Ireland, um, and I might say this incorrectly, but Ardri is kind of a central in some of the greater drama in early Irish literature. And so there were various kings that kind of trace this. So giving this like mound on top in Ireland, uh, having these moments for these high kings to like gather. And it also says that, you know, a stone of destiny, uh, the Leafal, and again, I hope my pronunciation, please forgive me as that's something I would love to practice more, um, that this kind of stone of destiny um, was brought to Ireland by the Tor de Danon. And the Tor de Danon is like a, one would say a mythical people and the poem that I'll read, like probably towards the end by David White, uh, talks about the Tor de Danon and it's this just really beautiful space of these like people that were very pacifist that like moved in a way of peace but don't really actually have that much like lineage like we can't really track historical references like there aren't artifacts there aren't ways for us to kind of study um but they were this kind of stone was brought and so it's this really beautiful thing to be rooted recognizing again like so much of you know, neo-paganism, Celtic mythology, and some of that was kind of like in some ways masked with the literature of like early Christianity. And so it's like a hard mix of recognizing like when you're reading texts, like how much is like, okay, this is actually more influenced by like moments of Christianity, right? Which is totally, you know, there's such a lot of generative nature and understanding religions um, in, re in addition to spirituality, but um, or and the Tor de Danon for me, right, is the goddess Danu and is a con technically one would say like translated to the tribe of the gods. Now, I don't use the word tribe, but again, from the translation, but this supernatural race in Irish mythology always felt so fascinating. And then the fact that they had like come to the hill of Tara, I was like, oh, well, this is fucking cool. Yeah. The idea. Um, and so it just is this. Celtic mythology and Gaelic mythology and Druidic stuff is way different than some of the more like British um, when we think of the Tor and these other moments in like Scottish uh, folklore and, and English, even though they're sometimes lumped together. Like a lot of folks will lump European mythology together. And so I highly recommend, um, I can definitely even give some books about Irish ancestry too in the notes um, that I love. And so for me, that kind of moment of understanding my name as a sacred meaning place and some of my work really at the end of the day, I feel like I help to support. Uh, I'm a spiritual care worker. That's what I, I would honor and identify myself as. And I like to support the care and the containership for people. And I'd like to say that like a meeting space on top of a hill in Ireland also did that. Yeah. And then what about your, the Slovakian roots? Yeah. You, I yeah. mean, 
Everybody may know this tale, and I feel like it's it's so many Eastern Europeans, Eastern European witches tale that I feel like has been so paramount, I think, for me. And I and if and if you haven't read this tale, like ooh, it is just one for it's just such a generative tale in so many ways. So Baba Yaga, Baba Yaga, I mean, such a an icon really an icon and a legend mm-hmm. of slavic folklore right the wild old woman um, of a house made of chicken bones right this mythical creature a forest spirit and this idea right baba yaga traditionally it was like teaching children the importance of reverence right for the delicacy of nature and for the spirit world and it, in some ways, I'm not going to I'm not going to say this. I'm not supporting this in terms of parenting. I have a fur baby, so I, I won't say this. But for like little human human children, I would say that, you know, it traditionally was used to like scare children mm-hmm. to like uh, like frighten them from wandering from home, like stranger danger things, which, again, I'm I, I'm not pro that. It's just <laughs> interesting how if it was like you wanted to scare somebody, Baba Yaga was that kind of like heinous, hideous way. And. What I want to offer, again, probably my best rendition, there's so many, right? So again, of course, if you're speaking uh, the native tongue or the language of your home country and learning that, of course, that feels like also a fun way to learn a language, like how I'm learning Gaelic and even understanding it. I mean, it is such a beautiful language, but also so the dialect takes a lot of time um, and I'm still learning that and mm-hmm. um my favorite rendition that's in the English language is by Dr. Clint Cl- Clarissa Pinkola Essays, which again we've talked about a little bit here, and in the in the space, women who run with the wolves, and mm-hmm. and I think what she does is she kind of explains, you know, it's not just about Baba Yaga, it's also about Vasilisa the Wise, and this idea of you know the too good person, the perfectionist, like doesn't need to really be in existence understanding like the the idea and the archetype of the hag you know Mm -hmm. how we support non-rational ways of being Mm -hmm. um asking the mystery or our intuition or intuitive development for care and so i find that story such a prominent one and even for me i've really want to appreciate all of the slovak witches that i've seen as of late that are really honoring traditions from culinary practices from spirituals from rites from understanding of course like the cross quarter days um, and the holidays that are so deeply celebrated um, in areas of eastern europe so i find a lot of care and i really appreciate learning from a lot of those folks it's just been great to you know yes i still read instagram captions yeah, <laughs> I still I still find them great. And then I'll close, I think, with a, a Japanese tale. And so, yeah. you know, I would say the one that I probably talk about the most um, because I think it's the one that needed the most care and attention for me from an intergenerational space is my Japanese cultural heritage. And uh, the Kitsune is probably one of my just like archetypical guides, caretakers. It's like my fucking ride or die. And it, it's there. Um, it's a trickster fox. It usually has multiple tails. Um, and it's kind of renowned um, 
as a mischievous kind of trickster. Um, it offers some wisdom in the ways that its ability to shapeshift. And it's regarded in Shinto lore, um, Shinto being a sect um, of kind of Japanese spirituality, kind of one would say pre-Buddhism and then mixed with Buddhism. There's kind of layers of that chronologically speaking. Um, but it's kind of served as a messenger. You know, traditionally that would ensure that farmers would offer offerings to the rice god, right? And so um, the kitsune, again, just possesses these like paranormal abilities as they get older and wiser. So first of all, loving that idea of that we're moving in these moments and as we age, we get older and wiser. We don't just get older. And <laughs> this idea in yokai, which is kind of a, a type of folklore specifically around kind of these mischievous or shape-shifting like creatures, that the foxes have the ability to shapeshift into human form. And you know, the companionship of foxes and humans in ancient Japan is pretty like well depicted. Um, and that's what really gave companionship to the legends and to the mythos and to the stories. Um, and so the Kitsune is also closely associated with a Nari, which is um, a Shinto Kami. Kami means ancestor kind of in Japanese. They're kind of an interchangeable or a spirit. And it would just kind of, again, like reinforce as a messenger. And so going back to just something that feels really generative, this idea of a message or this idea of a place to hold something sacred just really spoke to me in my work. And so I really appreciate folklores and I'll give a really beautiful shout out to an amazing just like friend, teacher, comrade, JT Perry, who really turned me on also to if just getting started with ancestry and, and exploring these ways children's f like folktale books mm -hmm. are some of the best ways to learn in a really colorful and imaginal way about your you know cultural heritage and ancestry right yeah. you can see these spaces and for me i'd like to say that like Say, seeing it from a children's lens actually I think offers more space and capacity for us to be with just the story and not all the ways that we're trying to like and analytically like dissect the story for all these specific reasons and purposes um, it just gives us that story and appreciates that story and so that's kind of always my for folks that are discovering it one for me it's like such a lifetime of things and i would say it's also like a spiritual hobby that i do not plan to monetize and you know <laughs> hobbies as monetization has become such a part of for me i've noticed in my generation of like having to monetize hobbies whether out of survival whether out of like thinking that's what we quote unquote should do um and so, yeah, that type of ancestral veneration work is just like one of those things that I'm like, this is amazing. I love that I just get to read folklore and um, then learn about the practices, right? Then my ability to make offerings, write petitions, work with them in dream time, right? Set with it in the relationship to elementals and even in points of the year, like at certain times of the year, cross quarter days when I'll be able to honor that. Uh, period of time because I always love kind of honoring the equinoxes, the solstices, Samhain, Ostara. I kind of move from some of those that Gaelic wheel of the year, or one would even call it the you know neo pagan wheel of the year, however you want to speak it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just feels very 
feels very important, I think, in practice. Before doing all the spells and figuring out all the things and, you know, moving in these ways outside of ourselves, I think really integrate, like I said, integrating the stories and all of the beautiful stories that have existed throughout space and time. Like they're so, they're so ancient, which I think is so cool. Thank you for leading us down all of those journeys. Um, that's amazing. Like your wealth of knowledge on on all of those stories, and it's it's very inspiring to for me at least to go kind of dig up some some stories. And I was thinking about you were saying you know children's books being a good source, and children are maybe a little bit closer to that kind of dream dream world, you know. So it kind of seems fitting that that would be a good entry point, you know, exactly. through the mind of a child. Um, to close this out, do you want to share that David White poem? Because yes. I, I'm a huge David White fan. Oh, so I'd love to hear yay. it. Yay. Oh, yeah. I love it. So this poem um, is kind of dedicated and about the Tododanon. And again, these mythological people of ancient Ireland. And the poem has been with me like for the last few days and I don't know if it's the equinox like part of me felt like it invited itself I feel like bibliomancy or the art of reading poetry invites itself as a practice of divination Mm -hmm. which likes me to also invite in the idea that it's like not like you have to do more it's this idea of like being with the poetry and then how does the poetry offer kind of a moment into mystery or mysticism or magic and so the poem is called turn sideways into the light Um, and I will read it here. So it says, turn sideways into the light as they say, the old ones did and disappear into the originality of it all. Be impatient with easy explanations and teach that part of the mind that wants to know everything, not to begin questions it cannot answer. Walk the green road above the bay and the low glinting fields towards the evening sun. Let the Atlantic gleam be ahead of you and the gray light of the bay below you until you catch down on your left the break in the wall. For just above in the shadows you'll find it hidden, a curved arm of rock holding the water close to the mountain. A just-lit surface, smoothing a scattering of coins and the niche above. Notes to the dead and the supplications for those who still live. But for now, you are alone with the transfiguration. And ask no healing for your own, but look down as if looking through time. As if through a rent veil from the other side of the question you've refused to ask. And you remember now that clear stream of generosity from which you drank, how as a child your arms could rise and your palms turn out to take the blessing of the world. Hmm. So, yeah. Love, love, love it. I love him so much. And thank you for reading that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Yeah, anytime. Incredible. Um, Yeah. So Tara, tell everyone that's listening how they can find you and work with you um, and any any offerings that you have going right now. I know you mentioned that Dreamscapes is going to be kind of closing up, but if there's anything you want to share um, with people uh, about how, to, how they can work with you. Sure. Um, so you can find me on the places. Um, I'm on Instagram at The Witch's Muse. 
I'm on TikTok. TikTok, I will say, is my like goofy kind of snarky moments. So um, if you're wanting kind of like deeper moments around spiritual technologies and conversational care, then Instagram is the place for that. Um, I do like writing longer captions. So that's what (laughs) I do. Um, And you know, my website is in motion. It should be out as, you know, by the springtime as we move into summer. And I do monthly offerings. So I have a Patreon, which you can find um, through the Patreon space. And that's also kind of a link in my bio on Instagram. And I have like tiers of care that go from like $3 for the podcast that I also host to help pay guests, um, all the way up to kind of these supportive container ships of kind of one-on-one support on anything that you are curious about from kind of my realm of experience of, of kind of doing divination and practical magic for like the last 15 years and that's kind of set at a price that feels really I think sustainable Um, and then I have dream divination offerings which I love and are also in a sliding scale component as well as tarot offerings which are multi-tiered and also at a sliding scale Um, I also do pay it forward readings which I really love they're dedicated actually um, to my grandmother, Joy Matsumoto. And so what I do is you've already paid for the reading. You're paying for the reading of another person and the other person is already paid for you. So you're kind of, kind of offering a pro rate. You're still having to pay some, but the idea of what you are paying towards is actually paying for another. And the hope is to kind of pay it forward. And so they're called to joy with love. Um, and those are also kind of available. So I usually take small amounts of clients throughout the month. Uh, and so, you know, the ways to find me for free are on the gram, on the podcast. And then of course, um, the newsletter where I write kind of fun non-linear nonsensical moments and usually like to offer just content in terms of exercises and practices that you can do um and so yeah that's that's kind of a way to be with me like i said dreamscapes will be moving and shaping so if you're curious about our work you can go over to dreamscapesacademy.com right now we kind of have winter programming up but come the spring summer we will definitely have new offerings and invitations to dream with us and we would love to see you there and yeah just feel free if you have any questions around this podcast or things like that Um, i'm actually super open to having DMs, I, I'm discerning with what is supportive and, and what's not for me in that. So if you have questions, feel free to reach out to Nick or myself, and I'll be more than happy to support. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was an amazing conversation and gave me a lot to think about and a lot to dream about. <laughs> Yay! Thank you for listening to In Search of Tarot. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore, and you can follow me, Nick, at In Search of Tarot. This podcast is independently recorded, edited, and produced by us, which means that we rely solely on the generous support of our Patreon backers to make this podcast happen. If you'd like to lend us your support, you can do so for as little as $2 a month over on patreon.com slash in search of tarot.